Uh, we begin a new series today on uh, the book of Daniel. And when you think about Daniel, I mean, most of us would think about the stories of Daniel in the lion's den, of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, your shack, my shack at the bungalow, uh, being thrown into, into the fire. Because it's great stuff that uh, is often told in children's books, you know, in Sunday school. So the first half of the book, uh, it's familiar to us because there's those stories, there's the drama. But then the second half of the book is the opposite uh, reaction because it's what's happening there. All these dreams and visions, all these symbols, what, what's going on? So as we come and begin a new series on Daniel, I think there are two dangers. The first danger is with the first half of the book, the stories sound so familiar that we think we know uh, what God is trying to say to us. And the second half of the book, because it's so alien and foreign and strange and difficult and daunting, uh, the danger is that we hold it at arm's length and think, okay, okay, I, I don't know what's going on here. Is it even relevant to me? So we face uh, a multitude of pitfalls and potential dangers as we begin this series. So we really need to ask God for help uh, that we might hear his voice through his inspired word because he has something to say to each one of us. Uh, Let's ask him to help us. Father, you have granted us this book and even though it is uh, two and a half thousand years since it was first written, because it is your word It is living, it is active, it is able to do that work in our hearts, in our lives. Father, we pray for your spirit to help us, that you make our hearts soft, that we will take in your word, that we will not, because of over-familiarity, that we will not, because of uh, some of the difficulties there, uh, not hear your voice clearly not be willing to submit ourselves, humble ourselves before you, before your word. Father, what you have to say to us in this book is tremendously important. Father, we need its message for our life here on earth. So Father, help us to hear well. Father, please continue to change and transform us. Thank you, Father. Amen. So uh, you see in your outline uh, three simple points, uh, pressure, resolve, and remember. So the first point, pressure. And you see that in the beginning, uh, Daniel tells us the, the sort of pressure that they were under. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure house of his God. Now this is talking about the southern kingdom. okay? And this is around uh, 605 BC. The northern kingdom, Israel, Right, 100 plus years ago had already been invaded by Syria and, you know, uh, annihilated. And they were annihilated because 
God had judged them for their sinfulness, their unfaithfulness to Him. But the southern kingdom, right, did not learn from, you know, uh, her neighbor's mistakes and also uh, were unfaithful to God. And so God judged the southern kingdom. And the instrument of judgment was Babylon, right, through King Nebuchadnezzar. And we are told here that the articles, the utensils that were used to worship God in the temple were taken by Nebuchadnezzar and placed in the temple of his God. Now, this is highly symbolic, right? It is Nebuchadnezzar saying, the reason why I'm able to invade you and conquer you is because my God stronger than your God, okay? And that's why your God's uh, things, instruments, now resides in the treasure house of my God. Okay, my God is better than your God. Now, we need to try and uh, understand the significance of this. Huh? And uh, throughout the week, I've been thinking, you know, if, if sometime next month, we were forcibly evacuated from this building, okay, the childcare is closed down and we cannot meet here as a church anymore, and overnight, this place is turned into a gambling den and, and brothel. Okay, I mean like, <gasps> right. Okay, that would be nothing compared to what is being described for us in these two verses. Because it is a promised land. God had promised this land to, to these people. It is God's land. And now, pagan nation, worshipping False gods have now come in, invaded the land, and then even taken from God's own house, his temple, and put it in a temple of a false god. Now, so the people of God are under great pressure. And we see the strategy of this pagan king uh, in verses 2 onwards. Uh, the king ordered Espanesh, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. And uh, these people are described, okay, they are all men, no women here. Okay, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude of every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Okay, so basically, he got the cream of the crop. Okay, he wanted people who were from uh, royal blood, wanted people who were good looking, wanted people who, who had who had a good mind. I mean, I wonder when I was reading it, you recognize yourself in this list. Ah, yeah, that sounds like me, you know, Singaporean version. Right? He wanted people with status, uh, with brains, with good looks, and with a high IQ, a high EQ, right? And the reason for this is because uh, it's a very good strategy. So any of you who thinking of changing jobs and, uh, you know, your next job might be a dictator and world domination, okay, you might take notes from Nebuchadnezzar because this is uh, a very wise strategy. Because as Nebuchadnezzar is conquering kingdom after kingdom, right, no matter how strong his kingdom is, eventually he will conquer enough people such that the number of conquered people would be more than his standing army. So there would come a time when no matter how strong his army is, there would be, in terms of number, uh, a high, higher number of people who could rebel. 
So Nebuchadnezzar's strategy of trying to take the young, see, he, the reason why he wants the young is so that they are still impressionable. And he wants people who are good-looking and able and qualified because he wants to train them. And you see, he not only selects the best, right? he wants to give them uh, an education. Okay, So you see there, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Okay, And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Right? So he was a program of brainwashing. But right? it was a strategy to reprogram them so that as the young cream of the crop, uh, whatever they learn about God, this was his way to get them to surrender that, to take in new information, like literature and language, to take in uh, this is the, the new worldview. This is the new culture. Right? To learn about these legends and these myths, it was his way of trying to uh, raise up leaders that would be loyal to him, to his ideals, to his kingdom. And so not only did he try and brainwash them, try and reprogram them, he also gave them uh, preferential treatment, gave them privilege, gave them luxury. Because they were to enjoy food, and wine, not just provided free of charge, but it was food and wine from his own table. And they were to be given new names as well. So, uh, you know, I mean, all those unpronounceable names. But essentially the point is that uh, Daniel's name, which basically meant uh, God is my judge. Right? You can't go around serving in Nebuchadnezzar's court having a name as, you know, Yahweh is my judge, right? So he has to change it to Belteshazzar. Um, I can't remember what that means already. Really. I think uh, Bel, the god of Marduk, is the one who protects him. Right? So all their names are changed because he wants to give them a new identity. Now, this experience of God's people, as they are plucked out, from their home country and forcibly taken to a foreign country and exiled there. And in that exile situation, what they face is pressure. Pressure to conform. And as God's people living in this world, we face the same pressures. Pressures to conform. Because you know, so many of you are wearing red. And, you know, just uh, last night I was looking at, you know, my favorite NDP song is the This Is Home Truly one, you know, the, the, the home one. And, and last night I was just looking at the the one done by Starhub. You know, home, and then they, it was sung by people from the homes. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I was watching it with my children, and because I was with my children, I had to hold back tears, like, you know, because it's so moving, right? I didn't want to cry in front of them. So I am very glad to be a Singaporean. I, like I tell you, I'm patriotic. I have three kids. But this is not our home, truly. This is at most our home temporarily. And you notice in the in the account there, that Daniel and his three friends were not the only ones taken. They were not the only 
uh, nobility taken. There were many others. And you can try and imagine what the rest of them were thinking. Oh, now, you know, Yahweh has been defeated. Now our country has been invaded. Now we are taken to this place. And hey, actually, they're treating us quite well. They're giving us an education. And we get to enjoy all this food. Yes, my beautiful Hebrew name is now changed. But, but hey, if you recognize the signs, if you see the where the winds are blowing, I think you just keep your head down and, you know, be a good boy. Things can actually work quite well. In other words, the rest of the people from Judah were willing to be conformed. They were willing to be brainwashed and reprogrammed, given a new worldview, new culture, and thus enjoy the benefits of that culture. And you see, there is a Christianity that is like this, that goes, you know, we can't, we can't fight the pressure. You know, it would be like trying to stop a chainsaw with your hand. There's no point resisting. There's no point trying to resist the pressure to conform. And so, I mean, recently some of you would have known the big outcry in America, uh, the secret uh, videos of the Planned Parenthood. You know, the biggest abortion provider in America and how another group has come in and secretly videoed and how they just candidly talk about, you know, selling baby parts, you know, uh, whether for profit or what, but, you know, like it's a nothing. Like they recognize it's a baby, they recognize it's a boy. Um, and then the Planned Parenthood has an, uh, a clergy advocacy group, which means they have this group of pastors, of religious leaders from different denominations that support Planned Parenthood. And this group of pastors from a whole range of denominations, they have come out and spoken out against the videos. Oh, these videos are heavily edited. These videos were taken in secret. These, these videos, you know, is, is politically motivated. No, no, Planned Parenthood is doing a good job. They are, they are serving women. They are doing God's work. And I ask you, how can Christian leaders, so-called, who claim this to be God's word, speak out in support of an organization like Planned Parenthood. Because they have conformed. Because the pressure of the world is so strong that yes, the woman's right is higher than life. Right. This is, this is the reason, right? So, so, so there's a Christianity that is like that. That has given in. That does not even try to resist, right? It is as foolish as trying to stop a chainsaw with your hand. Right? But there's another version, right? You, you know, in our shores and across, uh, the globe, there's a version of Christianity that is a false version of Christianity that is called the prosperity gospel. And, uh, I mean, no surprise that the prosperity gospel uh, was first started in a prosperous country. Because it, w- it would never start in the slums of India or, you know, in the, the villages of, of Africa. 
no, no, it's, it's, it's because, again, the pressure of materialism, the pressure has caused Christian leaders who supposedly say that they believe this to be God's word, to preach and proclaim a gospel that is all about health and wealth on this side of heaven. They've given in. But you see, friends, it is not just that plan, parenthood, clergy, advocacy group. It's not just those prosperity gospel preachers who have given in, who have conformed to the pressure. Because you and I are under pressure as well. Do you feel it? Do you know the, 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 the pressures that you are under? Do you, do you see that the world is trying to squeeze you into its mold? To squeeze us into its mold? Do you feel the pressure or not? Now, I know some of you do, but I also think that many of us, until maybe this Bible study, until I said it, we didn't really recognize the pressure so much. Okay, and because we don't recognize it, you know what happens? We just give in without thinking. We give in without resisting. Right? It is not just about the big issues of okay, abortion or you know whether we follow the prosperity gospel or not. It's it's the sign that we have been squeezed into the mold. Are the things that we do without even thinking. Like when you get a promotion and a pay rise, you know, bonus, end of the year. Right? If your first thought is, ah, what can I buy now? Then the world has squeezed you into its mold. When there is a, you know, relationship breakdown, and then all you think is about, all you think about is how to get revenge, how to get uh, vindication. Then the world has squeezed you into its mold. When the latest gadget comes out and, you know, you think I must have it, the world has squeezed you into its mold. There are so many pressure points. But I say to you, we will not feel the pressure unless we are aware and resisting, right? I mean, because if this hand is simply pushing this hand and this hand is not resisting, there's no pressure because this hand is not fighting back, because this hand is not aware that it's being pushed, being squeezed, being conformed. So friends, the, the reason why Nebuchadnezzar uh, was so smart in trying to train them in the literature and language was because he was trying to displace from their hearts, from what is central, which should be their knowledge of God, the scriptures. He was trying to displace that with the literature and language, the worldview and culture, the values of his kingdom. And, and, I, and I say to you, as we wake up and go into the world, there are 101 siren voices applying that pressure in the music we listen to, in the movies we watch. I mean, how is it, right, that we can go to a movie where 
People die. Women are treated as objects. And we enjoy it. Because the world squeezed us into its mold. Now, I'm not saying don't watch movies, lah, right? I mean, tonight I'm going to watch Ant-Man with Elliot really. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's fine, right? But, but we need to know, right? I know, uh, Pastor Andrew said before, even a dead dog can go along with the flow. Right? Okay, so we need to be aware that the world is trying to force us, to squeeze us into its mold. We go out into the world, there are 101 siren voices. And so I think the reason why Daniel and his friends were able to resist was because they did not forget, was because even under that heavy workload of trying to uh, learn Akkadian and Sumerian and all these languages and learn all the literature, they made time for God's word or, or they, or they, or they made sure they meditated and reflected on the truths of God that they had learned as a young person. That's why they were able to resist and to know that, no, no, I do not belong to Nebuchadnezzar. I belong to God. And so, the world has squeezed us into its mold when the first thing we wake up, what we do is we look at this. Right, how can we say that we are people who believe this to be the word of God and yet the first thing we do when we wake up, we reach for this. No, please don't. Already when you go out there, there will be plenty of time with this. There will be plenty of voices that will be trying to squeeze you into its mold. No, we, when we wake up, the first thing we need to hear is from God. We need to remember, we need to gain from His perspective what is reality. What are the truths we need to hold on to? so that we are aware, so that we can resist the world trying to squeeze us into its mold, so that our minds can be renewed instead of being conformed to the world. Okay, I must move on. Now, Daniel and his friends were given new names, and there is a, a word that is lost in our English translations, but when it says there in verse 8, Verse 7, that the chief official, okay, the word is actually the chief official resolved to give them new names. Now, this word resolved is the same word that is now used in verse 8. Okay, so the chief official resolved to give them a new identity. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Okay, so you, you see, the against the resolve of the chief official to give him a new identity, Daniel resolved. And you might ask, I know it was uh, something that was discussed in the Bible study, why why did Daniel choose this? Now, why, why did he want to fight against the royal food and wine? Now, obviously, some people say that, oh, it's because... You know, among the royal food, there would be pork. You know, there would be lobster, okay? Things that uh, a faithful Jew were not allowed to eat, right? It was against Old Testament food laws. Now, if that was the case, then Daniel should have had no problems with the wine. Because wine 
is not forbidden in the Bible. You know, that's why when, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, you know, we do have wine. Because wine, wine, wine is good. Wine is, uh, you know, wine is given from God to gladden the hearts of men. So, if he was really against Old Testament law, then he should have had no problems with the wine. Uh, but then some people say, okay, okay, the, the, the food on the king's table were offered to idols first. And so, Daniel couldn't eat food that was offered to idols. But the scholars say that, well, if that's the case, then he couldn't have eaten the vegetables as well because the vegetables would also have been offered to idols. So, um, we're not told precisely why Daniel chose this. Okay, It could likely be because he wanted to reject the association with the king. Because the reason why they were given this royal food you know, from the king's table, the king's own wine, is because the king was trying to buy them. The king was trying to win their hearts with this luxury, with this privilege. And so Daniel said, no. Now I want you to notice that his saying no at this point wasn't some arbitrary decision that did not cost anything. Okay, It's not like saying, okay, okay, you know, if um, I'm a Singaporean that is now uh, occupied, you know, by, by by Japan, you know, for example, and then okay, now I want to maintain my patriotism, and then you know my Japanese overlords they say, okay, no one is to wear red. How dare you wear red and white? Then okay, everyone's scared. Right? You wear red and white, you 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 get um, you know, your head chopped off. So I I wear red underwear. You know, it's like ha. I'll show you, man. I'll wear red underwear, right? Then you walk around and say, ah, oh, you know, I'm wearing blue and all that. And say, oh, yes, yes, very respectful. But actually, I'm wearing red underwear. <laughs> you know, I draw the line there. No, what Daniel did was potentially life-threatening. Okay, but he, this was where he drew the line. Because as I said, most likely he recognized that this was Nebuchadnezzar's strategy to try and win his heart. And so he said, no, no. Okay, I'll learn the language. I'll, I'll read the literature. I'll, I'll, I, but I won't let that, you know, displace my knowledge and me holding on to who the real God is. Okay, but I'll learn it. You, know, you, might, you might call me uh, Belteshazzar, but no, no, I, I know I'm Daniel. I know God is my judge. But I will draw the line when it comes to the royal food and wine. And so we need to learn from Daniel. Okay, it's, it's not that as the people of God in exile in this place, we must be against every single thing. No, I will not wear red. No, no, I will not say the pledge. No, I will not conform. No, no. Because Jesus has said, you know, in his prayer before his crucifixion, that he prayed that his people would be in the world, but not of the world. And so if we are fighting everything, like, I mean, imagine some of the other people who are exiled with Daniel, right? They say, no, I will not learn the literature. No, I will not, I will not learn the language. Okay. How dare you call me this name? I will not, I will not. I mean, they, they fight everything. I mean, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be thrown into prison and lose their life, right? And so the, 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 
And there have been Christian movements who want to fight everything. And so what they do is they're not thrown in prison, but they set up monasteries. Right? They, they get separated from the world and, and have no impact on the world. But Daniel wanted to be in the world, but not off the world. And so there was a place where he drew the line. And so we must ask ourselves, where are we drawing the line? Now, when it comes to God's moral principles of do not steal, do not commit adultery. Now, obviously, these are the lines that have already been drawn. We have no two ways about it. You know, we cannot say yes, yes, yes. Um, you know, I draw the line at not committing adultery. Okay, good, but that, that, that's a line that's already been drawn for you. You know, you, there's, there's no negotiation about that. So when it comes to God's moral principles, the lines have already been drawn. We must ask God for help to keep those lines. But what I'm talking about here is those other lines like how late to stay at work and, and how much overseas travel is too much and, and what to do with, you know, my retirement. I mean, like, there's, there's no stated explicit principles for those things. But each one of us must, with the wisdom God has given, in dependence on Him, by His grace, with His help, ask Him, where must I draw the line? So for some people, they draw the line, okay, I will not take work home. Others would be, okay, I will not stay in the office past six because I need to go back and be with the children. Others would say, okay, never mind, I must keep Wednesday night free and Sunday free. That's where I draw the line. Right? Other nights maybe to you know, finish the project, okay, I'll stay a bit later. But I will keep Wednesday free and Sunday free, no matter what. That's where I draw the line, so that they can go for Bible study and come to church. Right? So the, the, the point is, it is different for each one of us. Those lines that we must draw. But whatever it is, we must draw the line. As someone has said, if you are falling over an icy precipice, falling over an icy cliff, and you got you got that uh, ice axe. Now, it doesn't matter whether you place the axe here, or you place the axe here, or you place the axe here. Just place it somewhere, because if you don't, you will fall over the cliff. So if you have no boundaries, the company will just own you. And so I got a student who has to travel every other week. He was just texting me and saying, oh yeah, he covers India, Bangladesh, Hong Kong, Japan, Korea. You know, father of uh, two young kids. And he said, oh, this is already better than my previous job. See, why, why is this the case? It's because he probably started the job without clear lines drawn. And he just got sucked in until at this stage, you know, the company say fly here, he flies there. Where are the lines that you need to draw? And as we go on in the book of Daniel, you will see that because God enabled Daniel and his friends to draw the line here, right, over the matter of food and drink, you saw that, you will see that in subsequent chapters, you see that Daniel and his friends, they will 
have been strengthened to stand when the greater tests come. Because they drew the line early. Later on, when the bigger test came of, you know, not to bow down to the idol, you know, to, to disobey the king's command, to pray, they could withstand that because early on, God had led them to draw the line. Early on, God had taught them to begin to withstand the pressure and not be bought, not be conformed entirely. So they were under pressure to conform, but they resolved to be faithful. And you see, the third point is uh, remember. And the reason why they were able to do this is because they remembered their God. And in this, in this uh, short little chapter, where right at the beginning it seems as if God has lost, God is impotent because His people... His articles have now been, you know, taken and put in the temple of a false god. The writer makes it clear that God is in control. But I'm sure uh, in the Bible study you all saw that, right? In verse 2, okay, sorry, in verse 1, verse 1 it says, In the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Okay, that's verse 1. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar came came to God's country, God's nation, and besieged it and won. Okay, This pagan king with his false god. But that is only half the story, and that is the less, less important part. That is the news headlines. Jerusalem Times or you know, Babylon Times would be Jerusalem Falls. But you see, the news headlines tell only part of the story. Verse 2 gives the true story. And verse 2 says, The Lord delivered. See, that is the true picture. The news headlines of our world tell only part of the story. It is God's insight. God's revelation that, no, no, it is He who has delivered. And this phrase, uh, the Lord Delivered or the Lord gave repeats uh, another two times, right? So um, you see in verse nine. Now God had caused the official to show favor, right? Literally, it is it should be God. God gave, and then in verse seventeen, to these four young men, God gave. See, the reason why they were enabled to be faithful is because God is the one who is in control and God is the one who is the faithful one. So we mustn't come to the book of Daniel, as so many people have done, and just go, wow, Daniel and his friends are so faithful. And the message that is often proclaimed is, okay, be faithful like Daniel. No, because if that is the full message, we miss the point. Because the only reason why Daniel and his friends were able to be faithful is because God enabled them. God is the one who was faithful and enabled his people to be faithful. And so if all we hear is 
be faithful like Daniel, then the time will come when you realize that, oh gosh, I didn't draw the line. Oh gosh, I am, I am so conformed to the culture and worldview of this world. Oh gosh, how could God accept me? But the message of the book of Daniel is not about being like Daniel, but about the God who is faithful, the God who gave, the God who gave, the God who gave. And the God who gave in the book of Daniel is the God who gave his son. And his son is the truly faithful one. So that even when we realize our unfaithfulness before God, we are not condemned because our our acceptance by God is not based on our faithfulness, but because we trust in the one who was ultimately faithful. Jesus Christ, who obeyed his Father completely, went to the cross, died on the behalf of his people, so that we, the unfaithful ones, we, the ones who are so conformed to this world, because of our trust in him, will be accepted and found righteous at the end. And you see, friends, it is because we remember that God is this faithful, that no matter our failings, no matter how much we give in, that because of what He's done for us in His Son, He has shown His love, He has given us His righteousness, that that is the inner power, the inner engine that keeps us trying to fight not allow ourselves to be squeezed into the mold, but allow our minds to be renewed by this truth, this gospel truth. And though we may find ourselves in the, in the grip of the world trying to conform us, we know that we are in the hand of this God ultimately. And because of what He has done in His Son, we will return home. May God help us.